Brought to you by Hug House Productions. Please be advised the content of this podcast contains violence, murder, blood, smoking, alcohol, mentions of suicide, and driving sound effects. Please do avoid listening to this in a car. We also swear a whole lot, so there's that. Previously on Desperado. We left the Americas without looking back, its shores soaked in blood. I learned about Talia, the Baron, and her bone control thing. Uh, I asked you what your plans were when you got to Europe, and you said... I don't know. I have no idea what awaits me there. I've never seen a witch before. The English ones can be... difficult. My name is Samar, and I'm parked in the middle of the road, so we have to go now if you want to join Marcus for dinner. Marcus is a ringmaster, and he's very excited to meet you. He hasn't had a new act in years. So, Samar just announced she's taking us to the circus, and implies we'll be joining it as part of a new act. Which, um, how did we feel about that? I tried to open the car door and jump out. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I mean, I wasn't going to, I... I just wanted to know if I had the option. It was the way she announced it, like, so excited about it, that creeped me out. Yeah, I thought it meant we might be chorused into it, like some sort of freak show, I don't know. Yeah. So I was on the passenger seat, carrying a bloody dagger in my hand, and she never once mentioned it. I mean, at least the car was heated. And as we drove, Samar started to explain. Marcus is a believer, like you three. He's one of the most important patrons of the path. His circus employs and protects refugees from all over the world. He can set you free. And at what cost? Samar remained quiet for a moment, and I thought I should brace for the bad news, but... I appreciate you've been through a lot, but Marcus is a friend. He's the only reason you're not in a cell right now, and the only man that could convince me I should risk my life to save three ungrateful strangers on a Sunday night. She moved a finger behind the wheel, and the car door unlocked. Now, Yokai, if you want to get caught so badly, you may give the doors another try. Needless to say, I didn't. And tense silence followed. Trust has to be earned. I'm not asking you to be naive. I just want better questions. Um, will I have to... Juggle. <laughs> we can teach you how, but only the best make it to the stage. And have you? When I want to. What do you do then? Why, I'm the clown, of course. <laughs> of course, yeah. And where did the circus find you? I found them. I've been on the road since I was a little girl, but Morocco is what I call home. I was told Africans don't like to travel. Am I supposed to speak for an entire continent? But why is it such a stereotype? Well, some of us do find your gods are young and violent. It's exhausting. Young. I grew up in the birthplace of humanity. To the spirits back home, your own man in the sky is nothing but a child. Right, yeah. Millions of dead across almost a century and they call him a child. Is that what they think? Is your spirits are so strong, why don't they stop him? They don't care. Yeah, that left us speechless for a second. The gods of my lands are the ones of a humanity long gone. 
when nothing mattered but survival. They do not care for the weak. What do you believe? Well, I'm helping you, aren't I? You think us weak. I was asked for a favor and I obliged. That's it. How did you get so close to us? On the beach? I walked. You made no sound. I'm quiet. On pebbles? What about it? Are you a witch? No. Then what? The desert buries those who look for his secrets. And she smiled at me. Like it was just a joke, but her eyes said otherwise. Right, well, thanks for the warning. And then she, she glanced back at me. At least one of you is polite. Eyes on the road, please. Oh, look at that. No hands. No, hey, no, no, hey! No, 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 no! <laughs> Relax. The car and I are one. My spirit is tuned to its machinery. What? Do you want to try? Y you mean... Close your eyes. Right now? Yeah, give it a try. Go on. Close your eyes. It's really easy. Um, I... I oh, okay. Focus on your heartbeat for a moment. Back home, we understand there is a rhythm to the universe. A single harmony behind the music of our individual souls. And if you listen close enough, you can hear it echo in everything. And I'm kidding, please stop. What? <laughs> oh, shut up, both of you. Shut up. shut up, she can't hear the car's soul. Fuck off. Not everything is African magic. I'm just a bad driver. <laughs> but do you know about uh, witches' magic from here? You, you don't, don't know? know? Hey, roll back that tone. I don't know either. We're allowed to not know things sometimes. Like, yeah. I remember Samar looked back at you through the rearview mirror and... That's what happened, isn't it? You you got embarrassed mid-sentence. Oh, well, I thought it was very eloquent. Yeah, jokes, jokes, jokes. Can we can we get back to it? Yeah. Um. Samar said she wanted to hear how we talked about witchcraft on the other side of the ocean, so she let me explain, and I went through the basics. Most scholars tend to agree there are two schools of power, will and faith, and the reason I was so quick to believe Samar when she spoke of a single harmony is because that's very close to what we say back home. My grandmother says the universe is alive and listening, but it's without a soul, without will, just pure energy flowing through everything. And in the same way our minds control our body, it can order the world around us. That is will, and that's where witches draw their power from. My grandmother says it cannot be taught. That to believe, no, to know, without a single doubt, that your mind can reshape reality requires a drop of insanity. What she calls insanity, my people call wisdom. It is hard to teach, I admit. She winked at me, and at that moment I had a thousand questions for her, but I knew she wouldn't answer a single one, and it was the most frustrating thing I've ever been through. And what about faith? Right. Faith is about belief in something greater than us, rather than in our own hubris. Some suggest it is a passive form of willpower, and if enough people can channel it, God is born. But then what are we? Why do gods and spirits need to possess a body? Because everyone prays to their own version of a god, and by nature their form isn't stable. It has to choose a body. It has to choose a version of itself amongst its followers. And once they have a host, 
or a chosen one, whatever you want to call it, we are the ones that can give direction to that raw power, the same way witches do. So the powers given to us are the ones we believe in? Yeah. It's all very snaky, he's seeing its own tail. How does that make us different from witches? Because the power is not yours. It is translated through you. But could I have both? No. Have faith in your own powers and you no longer rely on the one that is given to you. You close yourself to it and you're no longer a viable host. You kill it. The god within. And it takes a lot of faith to bring it one back. So they are trapped with us? Pretty much. Hey, where are we going? The Mar had branched out of the highway a few minutes ago and we only realized now that she was uh, pulling up to a drive-thru. You're having dinner with Marcus, Amna. Hi, can I get um, a cheeseburger meal with onion rings, a Diet Coke and yeah, just a salad. Thank you. She brought the car to the second window and I swear when the guy brought her order up we all shrunk in our seats. Like, somehow he'd know. I mean, we went from running for our lives to a fast food drive through in, what, half an hour? It took some adjusting. And we drove off, discovering Bristol from behind windows. What did you think of it? Eh. I grew up surrounded by ancestral homes and trees older than my bloodline. At night, when I flew to the highest peaks and looked down, I could see impossible villages carved into cliffs and clouds. And when I looked up, I was so close to the stars, I, I could have called them friends. So yeah, eh is about it. I mean, the countryside is beautiful. Well, yeah, yeah. But I was just expecting a bit more from witch's architecture, you know? Sure, yeah, I get that. The rest of the ride was rather quiet. Exhaustion and hunger quickly hollowed me out, and while Samara did offer her onion rings, I felt she was just being polite, so I declined. We left Bristol without seeing much of it, really, save for its roads. And people. It's the first thing I noticed. People were out and about, walking, chatting, standing outside a pub, or gathered around a street musician. I saw a group of friends clink their pints, a man borrow a lighter from a stranger, the board clerk of a corner store. And, and for a second, it felt painful. For a second, I thought about how it would feel to simply be takes a moment to sink in when you glance and nobody looks like you in the streets. You're exposed. And you're never just out in the street. You know, your presence becomes a statement that people feel entitled to question and discuss. And it's exhausting. The circus was different, though. They had set up camp not too far from the city, in a valley that bordered fields of wheat, with the occasional oak trees sprinkled here and there. Samar stopped the car on the side of the road, on the top of the valley, and got out. We followed. The wind drew the edges of a tide across the meadow as it rolled over the land. I felt its touch on my skin like a shy suggestion. I agreed and exhaled, leaving my tension in the breeze. And there it was, the Nova Circus. The main tent was gigantic of red and purple. It didn't seem like something you'd build just for a few weeks. It had wooden pillar the size of trees supporting its structure. Food stands and caravans surrounded its perimeter. There and there a couple of campfires burning bright. And a web of crimson fairy lights sprawled across the entire camp. 
like the streetlight network of a small village. And from a distance, it looked like a giant had sketched a star in the valley, with the tent as its core and fairy light rays. Smar smiled at us as we took it all in, then walked us down to the camp. It's beautiful. Oh yeah, they even put lights in the bathrooms here. They? I thought you were part of this. I'm a traveler, yokai. For now, the circus and I journey together, but our paths are not one. So you're a freelance clown? She laughed as we stepped under the fairy lights. Not too far away, a young woman was playing with a tiny guitar around a campfire. Wait, wait, wait. Tiny guitar? Yeah, you know the one Yolana played sometimes with the four strings and- Do you not know what a ukulele is? Oh, has, is that what it's called? Yes, that is very much what it's called. How has this not come up before? Okay, well, how about you go listen to Car's Soul and let me carry on? Or let's give it to Shinji. He knows the words. Fine, fuck it. It's not my first language anyway. How- how do you think ukulele translates? Okay, exactly? yo que se. No importa, no Okay, okay, okay. We ventured inside the camp. People were swaying to the rhythm of playful tune, drinks in hand. Next to their moving home, a, a couple was stretching while listening to the radio. One of them called out to Samar and waved a hand. Our guide raised her drink to that and kept walking, then took us to the entrance of the main tent. And this is where the magic happens. I don't know if she somehow timed it perfectly, but we walked in at the start of a rehearsal. We even heard the first cue, and a man dropped from the ceiling. Suspended by a handle, he let go and landed at the center of the stage, from a height that should have broken every bone in his body. He did nothing more than backflip. Legs extended, he made it look so simple, it felt like... taunting. He sealed that impression with a smile, unharmed. Do they have cables? Not cables. Every spotlight turned on the acrobat as he raised his arms in the air and caught a woman falling from the sky. The man made his partner twirl, both light as a feather, their feet barely touching the ground, and suddenly he threw her into the air. She soared higher than she should have and caught the handle of a trapeze. She lifted herself up to sit on the bar as a group of dancers took to the ring below her, flying the circus colors and capturing our attention. The flying man disappeared into the chaos, then resurfaced above the stage as his partner waited, pouting. He jumped to join her, but she leaped to another bar and swung, fading him. What followed was an, uh, an aerial game of cat and mouse. As the tempo quickened and below, the troop followed in an unbridled crescendo, and suddenly it was, it was too much. I didn't know where I was supposed to look, I, I wanted to see every detail, every miracle of movement, but I just couldn't, and the music kept rising, but somehow the dancers kept twirling, never stumbling, until high above them, the lovers embraced. Holding the same trapeze, the whole show came to a halt. So abruptly, I, I swear I felt a shockwave. Brilliant. Keep that pose. One, two. On the ground, a man lifting a woman at arm's length suddenly set her down, exhausted. He apologized loudly, but the ringmaster just waved a hand at him. That's fine, that's fine. Let's find someone else for the lift. 
Isaac, can you replace him? I kept my eyes on the two acrobats as they disappeared backstage. Whatever would happen tonight, I I had to talk to them. Marcus! Samar? Gatch! You took my car. Okay, that's enough for tonight, everybody. Clap, clap, amazing work. Get some rest for tomorrow. Now, Marcus is not what you'd call handsome. He's your average, middle-aged man, almost unremarkable in a crowd. But he smiles like a friend, talks like a lover, and moves like a dancer. Marcus is not handsome, but he is magnetic. Where did you get my keys? From your wallet. And she passed him a wallet. Would you like my dignity as well? I'm afraid that's the one thing I can't stop from you. Good answer. Now, why did I get a three for one? <laughs> Guess it's your lucky day. Anyway, guys, it's been lovely. If you have any further questions, I'm sure Marcus will be delighted to help. I have to get back to work. Oh, uh, bye. Thanks, thanks for the lift. But she was already gone. We look back to Marcus, who stared at us for a second. Three strangers with a haunted look on their face. Two of them still drenched in seawater. His expression softened as he asked, Dry clothes and dinner? How does that sound? We all gave him a nod, unsure how to reply, and he asked us to follow him backstage. He guided us through a long corridor with a dozen doors on each side, opening into different dressing rooms. I saw a couple of makeup artists starting their kit for tomorrow, a seamstress repairing a costume, and... A few dancers having a drink after the performance. I was not being discreet, but no one glanced back at me. There was no way we didn't attract attention either, with our wet clothes and Talia's dagger. Same logic as the path. Until you're part of the truth, the less people know about you, the less they can say. Marcus peered into one of the dressing rooms and said, Diane, change of clothes for three? Once they're dry, get them to my office. I don't need change. (laughs) Yes, you do. Empty your pockets and save the valuables. Leave the rest on the floor. Diane, thank you. And he gave me a tap on the shoulder before leaving. The woman he had called Diane provided us with a set of Nova Circus underwear, t-shirts, and sweatpants. She pointed to a bathroom where we could change, and when we came back out, our clothes were gone. The lady didn't answer any of our questions and quietly brought us to Marcus's changing room. She opened the door, and we stepped into a large office, barely furnished, but were thrown to dinner table with what seemed like three different buffets just smashed together. Some of our people volunteered to make food for today, but they didn't really coordinate, so we have a curry with another curry on the side. Rice and salad at this end, water is here, and I don't know what that fucking thing is, but it's deep fried, so I'll try it. Sit down and make yourself a plate. He did not have to tell me twice. I honestly did not realize there was cutlery on the table until halfway through the meal. Yeah, that was quite a show. I didn't start eating until Marcus did. I'm pretty sure he wasn't hungry, but when he saw me looking at him, he helped himself to some curry. He waited till we were all fed, a sort of sad smile on his lips. Then tapped his own napkin with a finger, looking at Elio. And you just... Wiped your lips with the back of your hand. Well, it does the job, but I didn't want to ruin the napkins. They were way too nice. It didn't seem to bother him anyway. He leaned back, amused more than anything, and just asked. Now, I've welcomed you into our home. We've dressed and fed you. Would you say that's a fair price for your story? There isn't much to say, I'm afraid. We crossed the sea, we met Samar, she took us here. Marcus smiled, and it 
It wasn't frustration in his eyes, it was impatience. No, um, boredom. He knew he'd have to crack us open, and he, he just wanted to get there. Listen, if you're willing, I can make you disappear. I can erase all traces of your existence until this very moment, but for that, I need to know what needs to be forgotten. Families, friends, loved ones, enemies, mistakes, successes. I need to know. You've never met a witch before, but trust me, you don't want them on your trail, and... He didn't have time to finish. We heard a commotion outside, and a couple of voices were raised in protest. Talia and I jumped out of our seats, but Elio didn't budge. I call it magic shield privilege. He just doesn't care. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, that was bound to happen. Children, stay calm and let me do the talking. Whatever happens, don't try anything. Try what? The door flung open, and a woman in military gear stepped in. A pentacle had been carved on her Kevlar vest and pauldron, while the letters S-C-U were inscribed on the back. Spiritual Containment Unit. We had just met our first witch. I reached under the table, and my dagger rose from the ground, ready to strike. The witch seemed calm, indifferent to the few people that tried to slow her down in the corridor. She wore her blonde hair in a long braid which I'd never seen anyone do in the military. And her amber eyes were unnaturally clear, almost golden. She walked into the room and immediately started talking, leaning against the doorframe. Another ship. More than 70 people on board, all coming from the Americas. And yet again, the circus just so happens to be in the nearest town. Well, have you seen this tent? We're basically a lighthouse. And her eyes locked onto mine. I can help but look away. <laughs> New faces. Friends of mine. Yes, very colourful company. Would you be a doll and introduce me? Bold of you to think I remember your name. And me to believe you could read indeed. She replied, tapping her badge. Would you like me to spell it? No need, but very considerate. Oh yes, I try. Joan, this is Havia, who we picked up during our tour in Spain, and Emma. Oh yes, Emma who's been traveling with us since our last show in Paris. She nodded, not believing a word, then lazily turned her head to me, savoring it. And him? Manchester? Well, no. This is actually Callum's first show with us. We auditioned him in London. Oh, another Londoner. Whereabouts do you live? Ah, unless you know some sign language, I'm afraid you won't get far. He's a mute. Really? Amazing. Can I see some ID? The three of them. Marcus only paused for a split second. And with the poise of an actor, he returned Joe and her smile and got up. Of course. He walked behind his office desk and pulled a safe from under it. Oh, they've trusted you with it. Why wouldn't they? Yes, why not? Marcus opened the safe and Joan leaned away from the doorframe. She adjusted her stance, moving her knees and ankles by barely an inch. Her guard was perfect. A nervous twitch went through my hand and the dagger nudged under the table, almost flying up. But Marcus got up, and I almost heard the sound of her mouth collectively hitting the ground when he pulled out three passports. Spanish, French, and British. Jones kept her smile up until she investigated each of them, and found them in perfect order. Anything else you'd wish? Yeah. I'm going to need everyone outside. We're searching the building. 
Do you have a warrant? Why would I need a warrant? What do they teach you at the Academy? That SCU affairs trumps the common laws. Why? Right. I'd like to have the name of your superior, please. Of course. I report directly to Queen Tempest. You may request an audience online like everyone else, but I'm afraid the waiting list is quite daunting. Does that help? Always. And I'd never seen someone spell fuck you with just a smile until that moment. Glad to hear that. My lieutenant will see you out. Marcus gave us a nod, and we followed him out, while Jones and her team started invading the office. The ringmaster let me catch up to him and just whispered, Welcome to Europe. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Desperado. This week, we welcome into our cast Owen Gardner as Marcus and Emma Blackley-Peach as Joan, and to who I'm sorry if I just butchered the name of, I really should know better. I hope you enjoyed it, and see you next week. Bye!